לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamit in the Highland Park, Highland Park, Highland Park Conservative Telecargate Foundation in Highland Park, New Jersey. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Long Island, Solomon Schechter Day School, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed, New York City. It's great to see you guys. We have so much to talk about, but first, we have a couple of shout-outs. Shout-out number one, we are thinking about our fellow Jews in Colleyville and, of course, all around the country. trying to process the latest information and the latest situation for us, us all. A word on that from large synagogue and synagogue, medium synagogue, Rabbi Kalmanovsky, going to have a chair on the Bima? Uh, I don't know what we're going to do, but um, we're certainly, you know, I have tremendous, tremendous uh, respect for the people in Colleyville and the resourcefulness uh, of the well-trained, you know, we've also, we've also been through through uh, safety training, but I don't know that I would have had the presence of mind, probably would not have had the presence of mind to you know, clop the guy with a chair and escape that Charlie Citron Walker, the rabbi there, a, a gigantic yeshikot to them. And, okay. and, and I just the, the continued horror that too many people in the United States, you know, we, we've had attacks from white supremacist Nazi types. And this is a, a, an Al-Qaeda type or an ISIS type, uh, but they all think that Jews run the world. And uh, we, we uh, have not successfully disabused them of thinking that a small, a small synagogue in Texas <laughs> has no power over releasing terrorists. Yeah, obviously, this is, uh, this is, anti-Semitism is, is a problem for, of anti-Semites. And, and there's lots to say on that. Of course, we're going to shift for a moment and, and give a shout out to uh, my daughters having a birthday. Nama, happy birthday tomorrow. And Happy birthday, Nama. I want to say big shout out to Galit. <laughs> we want to appreciate Galit's dedication to Torah study and her inventive interpretation of Nachmanides okay. and Rashi. But Yitro is a huge Parsha. I would say among the 54 Parshas, it's really one of the most amazing of the 54 amazing Parshas. Okay. We are not going to talk about Yitro at the beginning. That remarkable personality. If you want to talk about allyship, Right? Being an ally to the Jewish people. Just t- two seconds on this. There's no, there's no greater ally to the people of Israel than Yitro. Uh, Yitro really experiences with solidarity and joy the, the redemption of the Jewish people, redemption of the people of Israel. I don't want to be too anachronistic here, but, but there's something to be said. We, we love him because he loves us. Right? I mean, Yitro is a As a, as a formative character, a paradigm of, of you know, the kind of ally that you want among Gentiles. And so he teaches Moses a couple of things. He teaches Moses how to manage his daily uh, life as a, as a leader, as a judge. Delegation, he wants to teach Moses how to delegate responsibility. We get all of that from Yitro. Um, but- I just noticed, by the way, when we were reading Yitro, this week in shul, we 
our, our listeners certainly know that we read the beginning of each parasha on Monday and Thursday um, as the week comes up. And I've got, we've got, you know, we had Morning Minion and the B'nai Mitzvah kids for this upcoming week came in and read the, read the parasha. And I had never really noticed, but just listening to them, the word Hitzil, Hitzil, save, rescued, save, rescued, it just, it is like a, it's like a note, you know, clanging, you know, resonant note, like a bell ringing in this parasha. I think it probably says seven or eight times in the immediate description of Yitro. Oh. That, Zil, that, Zil Zul. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's ringing like like Zil Zul. Um, but it just it just struck me that literally this is this is the story that, that the Torah is telling here in, in Exodus 18. Rescue, 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 and Vayichad Yitro. And Yitro was delighted to hear about this rescue. It's quite really, exactly he's, what you he's said. He's incredible. Uh, really, the kind uh, it's an archetype of of the kind of solidarity with our people. We move to chapter 19, and this is this is the moment. The people are now at Sinai. We are now three months. We're in the third month from the Exodus. That day, they come to the wilderness of Sinai. So we see them encamped against the mountain. And of course, our commentaries like to make a, a point of saying they came in plural, Vayichan, Sham, though in singular, they were there as one people. And then it gets a little complicated. Moshe goes up the mountain, and God says to him from the mountain, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and speak to the children of Israel, you saw what I did in Egypt, to Egypt. I brought you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to me. If you listen to my voice, and heed my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the things that you should tell the people of Israel. Now, Jeremy, you and I, we have taught, and I'm going back with a little sentimentality, nostalgia, we teach the Jewish mission, right? Be holy, be a blessing, be a blessing, be holy, choose life. But but we could say that this here is the compression of the Jewish mission. I mean, you know, can you give two thoughts about Mamlechet Kohanim and Kadosh or Amsigula? Give it, you know, What's off the top of your head on, on this? You know, if you have to say to people, what does it mean to be a, 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 a nation of priests and a whole, and a Goy Kadosh? You want to go, Barry? Uh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm struck by the term Mamlacha and Goy, which are two different words that apparently refer to the same thing. We would call them synonyms, but they really speak to different understandings of how people see themselves as a collective. So the Goy Kadosh, I think, resonates with us. You know, in modern times, we associate Goy, the word Goy with non-Jew because of the way that Jewish history took its course. But here, obviously, the nation that is holy is the Jewish nation, the Tad anachronistic, the Israelites. And it suggests that the, the mission really is to be a part of the the world of nations, but also to be separate, to be kadosh. 
that our mission as Jews following the Israelites is to be distinct. And that leads us to the Mamlachet Kohanim, because the distinct person within our collective community is the priest, who is set aside for service to God, um, according to the different traditions in the Torah. And it allows us to see how we might function in the world. We need to be attuned to service to God, not within, but without. This is how we need to think of how we address the larger world. So it's like you're saying, apart and apart, right? <laughs> they, are, yeah. they, they are simultaneously apart of the world and apart separate from the world. And, and I, I guess in a sense, you know, Mamlechet Kohanim is, is this intermediary, this un, an understanding of, of a priest as agent and also teacher, right? Because... There is that function of the priesthood in antiquity that the priests had to not only direct the ritual life of the people, but also function as, you know, they, they were teachers. Right. And this ties in very nicely with the broader theme of chapter 19, which, as you indicated, there's a lot of running around. Okay. Moses, apparently they waited to the third month because Moses had to go into training so he could go up and down the mountain so many times so quickly. But this is the classic position of the prophet, who is the intermediary between God and the people. He takes God's message to the people, and then the people's response back to God, and it requires the prophet to do that because there is not a lot of direct communication from God to the people or alternatively from the people to God. I want to add one thing about the Mamlachet Kodesh. First of all, the, the, all, all, all the things that you guys have said are, are quite true about the dynamic of, of a um, of a, a designated, you know, covenantal people. This is a covenantal ceremony. This, you know, I'm I I I brought you here. Now let's let's commit to a certain future. Mamlechet um, Kohanim, Kohanim. It means those. It means the, those distinct things and those set apart things. But at a certain level, lechahen is to serve, to be a servant, and to serve in this role. Um, you know, even in modern times, you know, we, we said somebody serves as the, you know, transportation minister or something like that. Um, and the orientation of, of Am Yisrael uh, portrayed in this passage as very, very dear to God, Sigula, Mikol Ha'amim, the treasured people. You know, I, I, I do not, uh, uh, in the 22nd, 21st century here in the, um, you know, 2022, uh, I do not think that the Jewish people are the most important people on earth. I think that all people are equal, all peoples are equal, uh, of equal significance. But I also want to say that I think that being Jewish has to have a, it has to have a point, okay? You know, a lot of times people talk about Jewish survival and and, our, and we should, we should uh, you know, have continuity. Well, it's got to have a point. It can't just be survive in order to survive. Every nation, everybody, everybody in there, every culture has, you know, we, we want to keep our culture and we want to keep our traditions because they're quaint and we love them and they're special to us. And in, the, in that respect, Judaism is like everything else and kreplach and wontons and ravioli and it's all the same thing. Um, you know, we've got our dumplings, they've got their dumplings, we've got klezmer music and they've got other music. But Mamlechet Kohanim B'Goy Kadur says you should be a Jew, and it matters whether or not Judaism survives. 
because we are trying to bring ethical, spiritual, social meaning and teaching to the world. God. So when, when God says, when God says, listen, I want you to be on Lechet Kohanim, the Goy Kadosh, you know, the nation of servants, the nation of priests, the, the sanctified nation, it means that this is your, you, the point of your being a nation is dedicated to these, you know, spiritual and ethical and social uh, teachings to share. I wouldn't even say, you know, this is to bring God's presence into the world. I mean, and, and in fact, Judaism picks up on this theme, I think, as, as a central idea in, in Judaism. We, Yit Gadal V'yit Kadash Shemei Rabbah is, is about the attempt to magnify and sanctify God's name in the world. By doing that, you know, we bringing God's presence into the world, we are, we are living with the hope that we can shape the world to be the, the the mirror image of, of God, which, which is what God wants. And and God has decided in the Torah here that the vehicle for doing that is, and the instrumentality of bringing God's message to the world is through the people. And, and what we are going to experience now is in fact how the people receive this message. I just want to make one, one other highlight here. It's, Va'avi etchem elai, I brought you to me. Now I, I read this with a with a great sense of intimacy that 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 God, you know, if we want to just you know shed our inhibitions about anthropomorphism and anthropopathism and and deal with it, okay? God is saying, <laughs> I, I want you, <laughs> I want you here, I want you, I want you next to me, I want to be with you, I want and and to say it in a different way, I want to break through with a message to you. Okay, I've been doing that already with your with your ancestors. They got it, okay? But I need you. I want you to have this message. I want, I'm bringing you to me. And we're doing it at this place, and we're doing it specifically at a mountain, because the mountain reflects a, a reality. It's this world, it's part of this world, and it's it's a nexus point between this world and what is completely beyond, and I am completely beyond, okay? And so... Can I just say that when you you said about the anthropomorphism, speaking about God in in human terms, and anthropopathism, speaking about God's feelings, and it it just reminds me, and just just deal with it, okay? (laughs) You know, it it reminds me that at, at some level, first of all, you know, I think there's much more to say theologically than just tell the stories of the of the Tanakh or the Torah. But at some level, you know, this 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 religion it it, it filters through the God of Israel as described in the Bible. Okay, like what's beautiful about this religion is is it it gives us a God who has those feelings, who brings you to me. I want to tell you. I want to pierce some of this like infinite distance between heaven and earth. Um, and it's, it's a little hard. I mean, there, there are, more, there are, you know, ongoing centuries and centuries of theology and different kinds of theological thinkers. And Maimonides is, is very much unlike the Bashemtov and different kinds of people speaking different kinds of ways in this more mystical and more rational. But at some level, you know, you have to be able to be moved by the story of the God who is manifest in loving relationship with this covenantal people. And it's pretty hard to make sense of Judaism at all. Without that. Unless you're willing to make those anthropomorphic and anthropopathic maneuvers. Sure. Okay, so so 
I want to just fast forward. There, the, Moses delivers the message that to this to well, it's he first tells it to the Zikanim and then tells it to the people. Evidently, they, because the people answer and say, "Yeah, we'll, 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 we're in." Now I said, "We'll do whatever whatever God says here." And then they're given a series of instructions: three days to be ready, wash your clothes, um, and make a boundary. Okay, and the boundary line is pretty tight okay you cross over the boundary you're going to be put to death okay you the the zone of the mountain is a holy zone only moses ostensibly can go up the mountain the people are going to be out outside the zone of the mountain but they are going to hear something okay and so i'm, I'm going to suggest that that what god has in mind is look i'm going to come down the mountain i'm going to come down on the mountain the mountain is going to be like a volcano. It's going to be billowing with smoke. And that's the moment. My presence is so dangerous. Okay. And it's at that moment that, that the message uh, is going to come out. The message of what I want for this people and what I want them to bring to humanity. Nam- namely, the, the message encapsulated in Aserata Dibrot, which we normally translate as the Ten Commandments but probably ought to be translated as the 10 precepts or 10 statements or 10 utterances, okay? There are 10 utterances, 10 statements here, and that's what I want to bring. And so my proposition to you is to understand this text as what God desires and what doesn't happen. It doesn't happen the way that God wants it, okay? And here, I'm going to read it as follows. I'm reading it without going into the verse-by-verse analysis. See the class if you do this, okay? It's Moses... Is, is told to go down to get the people back. And Moses says to them, to God, look, I already told them that. And God says, Lech, red, go down, Valita, but then come back up, Atavaronimach, you and Aaron, Vakoanim Vaam, Al Yersu, the people and the priests, they'll, they'll, they're not going to tr- uh, tr- transgress or trans. Uh, go over this boundary, okay, lest I destroy them. And so Moses comes down, and then we have the ten utterances. And and they come out, and immediately after that we read, the people see the sound, the torches, the sound of the shofar. The mountain is billowing smoke. The people see this, and they, they, they run away. They, they, it's still overwhelming for them. And they say to Moses, You talk to us and we will listen. Don't let God speak to us lest we die. And I want to say that this is a kind of rereading of the, this, because we normally understand this in very romantic terms, that God speaks and we listen everybody's not you know they're listening like like in a spiritual ecstasy but it's not that at all the people are terrified they're scared out of their minds they want to run away from the mountain there's no way that they're going to touch the mountain and and they want moses to intercede and it's and they don't even hear the ten commandments is what i'm saying how disappointing must that have been for god that's my my reading here i'm basing that on your amazoni your amazoni philosopher who who's you know, pre- presents that reading in, in, in a book and some essays. But, but I'm just going to point out that you think that they did not eat Korban Pesach in Egypt. I, 
Yes. And you think they did not hear the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so I want to say parenthetically, you know, it's the, the joy of this is that we read this over and over, and we all get very committed to our interpretation, very committed to our readings, until, of course... Some of us should just be committed, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your, your take on this, Barry? You have a different take on this. And it's, I so, think, it's equally radical. I... It's such a problematic Parsha, and as you mentioned, we read it a lot, and we study it a lot, and we continue to find new things every year. And what strikes me is that is this word coal that makes its way through the Parsha in different manifestations. One coal is Boy. the sound of the shofar. Shofar, okay. And the shofar is nonverbal. We hear it. But we have to interpret what it means, what the, the sound it makes. The other call is the voice of Moses. And it's, it strikes me in reading this closely that it's Moses who actually recites the Ten Commandments. At the end of chapter 19, he, come down, he comes down the mountain and speaks to the people and tells them what God said. And the first thing that God says is Anochi, I. And they hear God through Moses' voice. And again, I think we discussed this a couple weeks ago in Ba'era, the job of the prophet is to give voice to God because God is not heard ordinarily. He must be, his message must be delivered in the voice of a human being. And that is Moses. And, you know, listening to you talk, well, before we were recording and now, the fear that you mentioned is overwhelming, but what is its source? Why are the people so afraid? And it occurs to me that from everything that they know about God, they're not quite sure that this is a God of life. And that's what scares them, because this God has brought much destruction in his wake. They did not, you know, get take the vacation package out of Egypt. <laughs> they... Uh, were delivered in a different way. And when they cross the, the Sea of Reeds, as they did last week, when they turn around, they see death. Right. And, you know, you had said before that the people were scared to death, and they're also scared of death. And, you know, it's hard to trust this God. And I think they're trying their best. And they're very confused. And what ultimately comes of this scene in Yitro is that they learn that the one they have to trust is Moshe. Indeed, indeed. I just want to pick up on that, and, and, and Jeremy, I don't, I don't know if you're building up something, but, but so it's the Esh Ochelet, okay? Later on in, in Mashpatim, we'll, we'll get Esh Ochelet, the idea that, that God is a consuming fire, and we get that in, in different passages. And the, it's the interesting thing that Moshe experiences the first time that he encounters God is Vasne Enen Ukal, that the that, that, the fire that is burning this fragile bush um, is not consuming it. And so here, this is Hazoni's his interpretation. I like this interpretation very much. He's saying, look, God is necessary to the world. God sustains the world, like fire. It's the metaphor. You, know, you need fire, but fire is also dangerous. God is dangerous. The biblical reality, uh, uh, the biblical experience of God is that exactly what you said, Barry, it's overwhelming, it's dangerous. And Moses' vision is that this 
presence, this dangerous presence, can actually be tamed and live within a person, can live within a community, can live within a people, and that, and it can be transmitted to others and not be destructive. So we have to we have to understand that getting too close to God can be completely uh, dangerous and and uh, um, kill you, but getting something can sustain you. The bush was not consumed is a metaphor for the human being and for community and for the people, and that the people lives with this fire that they're going to manage to control, and they'll manage to control both physically in, it, in, in, in a physical manifestation in the Beit HaMikdash, or the sanctuary, and also through what will become Torah. That's, that's the idea here. To me, the, um, this is instantiated. What, what we're talking about now in terms of what can the people handle? They need to hear something through a human intermediary. If everything is through the human intermediary, uh, is that religion or is that just purely secularity? Uh, we cannot have the divine unmediated by the human intelligence, the human recipient. Everything, everything, the, the divine, the divine mind is, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a believing person, if you're a theologically thinking person, the divine mind is unconditioned, infinite, you know, outside of time, and gets refracted through the human recipients, which turn it into, you know. On the 14th day of Nisan, you do this, and, and on every sixth day, you know, you do the seventh day, you do that. And those things are time-bound and they are culturally bound. And so to me, the, sim- the one of the ways this is symbolized, and, and we can talk about uh, the, the way in which divine, the divine just overwhelms people until they're just completely scorched, so they all get the Nadav and Avihu treatment of, yeah, exactly. of having been come so close that, or, or how do we modulate it such that people can receive it? To me, this is illustrated, among other things, by the fact that the first two commandments show up in the first person speaker. I am the Lord your God. No other gods before me. And, and the speaker is clearly the first person divine. And then by the third one is do not take the Lord's name in vain, for he will not cleanse those who take his name in vain. We've moved to a third person. So like a, a Midrashic way of reading this is that they heard two commandments, directly from the divine mouth. And then the other 611 uh, were through the mediation of Moshe. Um, Rambam reports a tremendous, I don't remember where the, the source is, he reports a, a tremendously interesting uh, Midrash in the Guide for the Perplexed, which he says that they heard those first two sort of as indistinct rumbles, not broken out into clear words, because the divine mind, divine speech couldn't just couldn't be, uh, you know, exactly like ordinary intelligible human speech. So I, I like that because to me it speaks to the religious need to both have something that is divine, that is not just the stuff that human beings keep, come up with. But the reality is that the vast majority of religion does have to be um, accommodated to the human recipient and the human interpreter. So I want to say that that I think it's it's a, it's a frustrating moment for 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 an ordinary Israelite. Okay, you're, you're you want you want this. You're terrified of this. You you 
it's overwhelming. The content of the commandment is over. What you just did, Jeremy, is it's great because this is what Talmud Torah is about. This is, you know, you're teaching Torah. You know, I I I did a course on the Ten Commandments, um, and my, the 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 real idea was you you think you know this, okay? You think because everyone says, yeah, I keep the Ten Commandments, but but people haven't really understood this, and I I I get the sense that. Our, our community can identify with the Israelites here because in a way we're, you know, you're going to be in shul on Shabbos, you're going to hear the command, you're going to hear the statements come out and it's like, well, what do you, what does this mean? What's the mean? It's overwhelming. Okay, Barry, you had a, a great interpretation of Shabbat. I mean, we're, we're running out of time. So let's give our listeners and viewers, you know, this idea of Shabbat and, and, and encoded in the Kenten Commandments and the commandment for Shabbat is is an astonishing message, which is not completely discernible on the first go round. Go ahead. So the the fourth commandment is a command to remember Shabbat, and we remember Shabbat as in the language of Exodus, in order to remember creation that God rested on the seventh day. And it occurred to me that there are two ways in which human beings are created, but Salam Elohim, in the image of God. In the first chapter of Breshid of Genesis, they are told to rule over the earth. And our teacher, Rabbi Neil Gilman, said that this was his understanding of what B'Tselem Elohim meant. That just as God rules over the universe, human beings rule over the universe as well. But the the fourth commandment actually gives us another way to be B'Tselem Elohim. And that is we observe Shabbat just like God observed Shabbat. And it gives us a great insight, I think, into the biblical mind, because in order to truly be in God's image, we must work for six days, but we also must rest on Shabbat. We give up everything that we do that exerts power over the world on Shabbat in order to be like God. But we can only do that if we have exerted that power through the first six days of the week. So in other words, being an image of God is is to live, to do Shabbat is to live as the image of God and to work is to live as the image of God. And, and we are basically going between both of those uh, manifestations, basically. Yeah. Right. What a great, a great idea. I, I think it's, it just underscores the fact that, that, you know, reading this text over and over again, you know, it, it, it never ceases to yield meaning for us uh, as the basic cornerstone of not only what it means to be a Mamlechet Kohanim and Goy Kadosh, a, a, a kingdom of priests and a, and a holy nation, but really also, you know, to, to, to have this connection to God and to present these teachings as a foundation of, of world civilization. Jeremy, any closing out ideas here? Just uh, as, as this, I mean, do you concur with this idea that, that it's a mess for them? I mean, or or what do we take with us from, from this part? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a mess for them. And I'm sort of caught between um, thinking that it's a very vivid illustration of the reality that the, that the divine is incommensurate. Like what I said about the, you know, fil- filtering the divine through the human recipient, it's always going to be, um, imperfect and more than we can handle 
And I'm sort of caught between thinking, yeah, yeah, what a beautiful illustration of the religious truth when the people want to run away and say, I don't want to listen anymore. No more, no more divine revelation. Uh, I'm, I'm caught between thinking that is an excellent illustration of the reality that, 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 uh, that the divine does not really belong on earth and in human society in, in a simple and unambiguous way. It's always going to be a little bit complicated and rough edged and kind of feeling that it's a failure of nerve and uh, cowardice on the part of the people that it's just that they're not ready, that, that Hashem is prepared to close the gap more than the people are prepared to have the gap closed, that it's a little safer and easier if we would please tell God to leave us alone. We're, we're nomadic sheep herders. We're in the desert. Will you please leave us alone a little bit? So, so you know, you know, I, I mentioned this in, in a class. Uh, I said, you know, we, we read this Parsha. Our, our friends are going to read this uh, Parsha, this, this Shabbat. And, and if you're in shul and if you're at home, you're going to rise. You know, that's the custom in the shul. And the rising, you rise to listen to the, the, the commandments, the statements, right? And, and traditionally, we understand that we are reenacting Mahmud Harsinai by standing and listening. But I said, you know, if we really wanted to reenact it, we'd run out the door. <laughs> That's what we would do. Because but we, it, it's important to recognize that we're not really reenacting it. What we're claiming is that today is Mount Sinai. Uh, and that it's not that we're going back in time, but we're bringing Sinai Okay. To wherever we hear the Ten Commandments. So you are you are reshaping the understanding of Sinai. And you're doing typically what, what the Torah, the biblical tradition does, and what the rabbinic tradition does. It it takes this moment and basically purges out of it the terror from it and makes it the moment of contact, which of course it is. And and standing in shul to receive the the statements is a way of it's an aspirational moment. We're doing that as, as aspiring to be there as if we could hear it to to kind of do a, a do-over, right? We are Klal Yisrael, and we want a do-over of the Mahmud Arsina because our ancestors were too terrified to stand there. I think that that's compelling. What do you think? <laughs> we, want, we want the do-over, but, you know, this is like on another level, you know, people want the intense spirituality they want the juice of religion they want that electric feeling uh and they kind of don't want some of the scary stuff like you know, oh yeah we want we want to hear the prophetic voice of our religious leaders okay the prophet stands up and says Ko Adunai, god told me the following thing and you say okay we're going to bring <laughs> the ambulance and and we're going to give you a little antipsychotic so it's true. We want to we want to reenact Maimon Har Sinai because we're going to read it out of a twenty five hundred year old, three thousand year old scroll, okay? And not that the that the mountain is quaking. Ge'eshen Hakivshan. That would scare the pants off us. Exactly. We're 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 doing it out of love, which is you know it's it's as if it's Vaviet Chamelai. We want to be there. You know that. You know, let's let's be in the divine embrace together, and that is how I think we should we should end our our conversation. That that you know, reading this, studying this, and and re-chanting it in shul is is an attempt, as it were, to enter the divine embrace and to uh, imbibe the content of that moment of time. So, for everyone, 
for all of us. Let's say good Shabbos to our listeners. Thank you so much Shabbat for Shabbat. being with us. Shabbat Shalom. We are so happy to have this time and see you next week on another edition of Marcher